Well, good morning, good morning. It is so great to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Uh, wow, it is just, it's good so far. We could go home. I feel we've had church already. It's, this has been good, and uh, I love being here. If this is my first time meeting you. My name is Adam, and I get to be the lead pastor of this church, and I have the privilege of just sharing God's word with you and opening God's word with you as we start a new series today called Unpopular opinion. We're going to do a series about relationships, but before we jump into that, I just want to take a moment and just welcome those who are watching online. Maybe you're home because you're not well, or maybe you're away and you're tuning in, or maybe you're just checking us out because you heard about this church called The Harbor, and you kind of think it sounds like a pretty awesome place, which it is, and you're just checking us out. Hey, we love that. We think it's awesome, and uh, we just hope that wherever you're watching from and why ever you're watching, that you just experience the presence of God. It's so real in this place. And I'm so grateful that God is not a respecter of persons, or a respecter of places even, that he can actually meet you where you are at. And so we are praying that you have an experience with Jesus today. And we invite you to come into the room and uh, to celebrate and to worship with us in community. That is what church was designed for. And so uh, take this as your personal invitation to come and to join us one Sunday. We are jumping into this series called Unpopular Opinion, and how many people know, we do know this, is that the popular opinion doesn't always equal truth, right? The popular opinion doesn't always equal truth, but we cannot deny the impact that it has on our relationships. We, we can't deny that the, that the movies we watch or the music we listen to or the, the loudest voices in the room or the advertising that we are, uh, we are subjected to on every device or <laughs> everywhere we go doesn't have an impact on how we, how, how we view or how the world shapes our view of relationship. We can't deny that. Society is shifting and redefining its values on relationship all the time. But how many are thankful today that God's word is the same, that God's worth is tried, it's tested, it's true. It is a foundation of which we can build our life and our relationships on. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a theologian to understand that God's way or God's design for relationships is quickly becoming the unpopular opinion. And so we have a choice as believers, right? We either go with the flow, like we talked about through our last series, or we dive into God's word and see what his word has to say about relationships and allow his word to transform our hearts from the inside out. We, rocked up, we talked about this last month, Romans 12, right? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right, from the inside out. And allow him to shape our relationships. Well, what's some of these examples of, of uncommon or unpopular or popular opinions? Well, one is this, is that, again, the popular opinion about relationships or, it's mar or marriages is that, hey, you reach a certain point where it's, it's irredeemable. You reach a certain point in your relationship or your marriage where it's broken and it's beyond fixing. But the popular opinion, or the unpopular opinion rather, is that I believe that God is in the restoration business and God can put it back together. How many people are grateful that God can put relationships back together? Like, that's not popular, right? The, the popular opinion is it's broke. Move on. Fine, try again, right? And so our, our other popular opinion is, hey, I'm going to, my popular opinion is I'm going to discover and live out my truth. That's a popular opinion these days, right? Or the unpopular opinion is that we, why don't we allow the one who designed relationships to define relationships? That's, that's growing to be an unpopular opinion. Or what about this one? What about, hey, I will love you until you stop making me happy. <laughs> right? 
I will love you unconditionally until you stop making me happy. That's the popular narrative. That's the popular opinion. But the unpopular opinion, the biblical opinion, is that real love is unconditional. Real love is unconditional. And this is the one we kind of want to camp out in today as we talk about love, as we lay sort of the foundation of this series that we're going to dump, jump into this month. See, God is, I believe that God is calling us, his followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you can sing these songs, Jesus, I love you, you know, if you can sing those because you've made that decision to love Jesus in response to his love for you, then we are called to love on a different level. We are called to love differently, and not just the ones that we love, and not just the ones we like, and not just the ones who make us happy, or the ones who are nice to us. We are called to love differently, all people, everybody. That's what we're called to. That's the different kind of love that we're called to, to live out the kind of love, come on now, that he has for us, right? This unconditioning, unwavering, unfaltered kind of love, the one that he demonstrates to us, and the one that he models to us. Well, what is this kind of love? What are the attributes of this kind of love? Well, we don't have to look too far. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is the, is the chapter on love. It's read at almost every wedding. And, uh, but we understand the kind of qualities or the dimensions of this kind of love gives us a, at least a starting point of the kind of love we are discussing today. We see this in 1 Corinthians 13. It says love is patient. You can say ouch if you want to in your own, like ooh, you know, when you think about your own life. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, right? Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Ouch. Come on now. Don't, don't make me be the only honest one here today. I know you're all perfect. You got this all figured out. You said you love your spouse on the wedding day, and you've nailed it ever since, right? Every one of you, right? Come on now, right? Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. For love never fails. See, there are scriptures. When you read scripture, if, you, if you're in the habit of studying scripture, there are some passages that you need to sort of dissect in order to fully understand. This is not one of them. You don't need to go back to the original text to fully understand what's going on here. You can just read it and say, okay, God, this is one of those ones you need to read regularly. You know, you need to put on repeat. You never read it too much. Repeat it. Say, God, is my love patient, persevering, protective? Am I keeping records of wrong? Like, this is where we are, right? Paul goes on to say, this is the type of love that should be our greatest aim. He goes on to the next chapter, says that love, let this kind of love, let this kind of persistent, unconditional love be your greatest aim. What does that mean? It means we're striving for it. None of us are able to live like this in our own strength, in our own ability. It's something we are striving towards. But knowing the type of love and actually living out this type of love are two very different things. We can know the type of love, but actually live it out. And so we all fall short. Every one of us miss this target. But it doesn't stop us from trying. It doesn't stop us from pursuing. It's Paul's, Paul's prayer. Let this be your aim. Let this be what you're shooting for. Here's a question I've been thinking about. Is what happens if I allow other people the same grace to grow in love 
the way that Christ gives me grace to grow in love? Like what happens if we are people who actually give one another grace to grow through this process of discovering and living out this type of love? Instead of being so quick to attack and to belittle and to tear down. What if we work together? What if we all embrace the fact that we're all on this journey towards Jesus and none of us on this side of heaven are going to get it right? We're all going to fall short. A group of 100 professionals wanted to define love. There was their pursuit. And so they thought that one of the best places to discover what love was really like was to ask those who have not yet been tainted by the world, those who had not been destroyed by broken hearts, you know? And uh, so they asked a group of four to eight-year-olds, a group of four to eight-year-olds, what is love? And here are some of their, their thoughts and some of their definitions to the answer. Rebecca, age eight, she says this, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over to paint her nails, toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when he got arthritis too. That's love. You're right. Billy, age four, he says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. It's cute, isn't it? Carl, age five, he says, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cream and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> Carl, Carl's got, he's got a lot to learn, right? He's got a lot to learn. Terry, age four, says, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Out of the mouth of babes, right? Danny, age seven, he says, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> Won't drink it all though, right? Emily, age eight, she says, love is when you kiss all the time. And when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and talk more. That is love. Mommy and daddy are like that and they look gross when they kiss. <laughs> this is from the... Uh, Bobby, age seven, he says, love is in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Somebody needs to write that one down. Nika, Nika, age six, she says, if you want to learn what love, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with someone, start with a friend who you hate. She's got a lot to teach us, doesn't she? Noel. Love, age seven, love is when you, get, when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and he wears it every day. <laughs> Some husbands are still wearing that same shirt. I know this one's going to be in the good books, right? I know shirts that I should not wear if I'm expecting any kind of return love that day, you know? There's no fly zone shirts in my house. Anyway, you got to know when to put them on. Anyway, uh, and a Marianne, age four, she says, love is when a puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Right? You ever wonder who loves you more, your dog or your spouse? The easiest way to find that out is you put them both in the trunk of a car for an hour, come back and see who's happy to see you, you know? <laughs> You'll find it really quick which one loves you more. Don't do that. This is not, a, I'm not prescribing an action. I'm just, just letting you know, you know, you may find out real quick. Mark, age six, what's he say? He says, love is when my mommy sees my daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's a certain kind of love. That's like, that's a 20-year-plus marriage love, right? That's that kind of love. Jessica, age 8, says, you, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, say it a lot because people forget. How many people know? We forget, don't we? 
we forget. There was a, a contest trying to find the most caring child in America, and they landed on this four-year-old boy. And as the mom tells the story, he went next door to an elderly man who had just lost his spouse of 50-plus years. And when he returned, his mother asked, what did you say to him? What did you talk about him? He says, nothing. I just helped him cry. You know, we can joke around about this and call it cute, but there's something really serious that God takes serious about love. It's a serious thing. It's a big deal to God. And here's the thing, and I don't want to, like, you know, take you on a complete 180, and, and, but I want you to understand, listen, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, like if we truly call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, Christ-like, then we need to follow the words and the ways of Jesus. Like that's our goal, right? That's our aim. That is our pursuit. You see, I, 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 and I'm not there, and I know you're not there. I know we all of us in this room have a long way to go if we're honest with ourselves. But we need to make love our greatest aim. Like love has got to be our greatest pursuit. Our lives should be pointed in that Direction. This is such a big deal to Jesus that as he's talking to his disciples, as he's teaching his followers in Matthew 5, he says this. He says, therefore, if you're offering a gift to the altar, if you're coming to the altar, meaning if you're coming to church, if you're going to a house of worship and, and coming to church to worship, and you get there and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, what do you do? He says, leave your gift. <laughs> leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Like this idea of making sure that there's no hard, hardship or hatred harbored in your heart, that you're actually going to make sure you reconcile those things before you come into the house of worship, before you come and present your, your offering on the altar. John 2 says, anyone who claims to be in the light or anyone who claims to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Listen, you, 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 you say you're in the light, but your actions are showing that you're not. You're, you're still living in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister, what do they do? They live in the light. They live in the light. And there, there is nothing in them to make them stumble. I mean, there's nothing in them to hold them back from experiencing the presence of God. See, the net result of this kind of living, the net result or the, the, the result, the, the impact it has on us doesn't mean that we're happier or we're happier around those or those around us are happier. You know, the net result is that we actually have a lot less things in our life along the road of our life that we can stumble over. A lot less things in our life that we can trip up over in our walk with Christ. And here's my heart. If, I, know, I, don't, I don't know all of you very, very well. I can't say that. But here's, if you can hear my pastor's heart for you, is that this is what I want for you. I want you to be able to live a life with, little, with limited stumbling blocks, with limited things that are going to get in your way and trip you up and make you fall off the path, and you're following with Christ. But it starts with here. It starts with living like him and following him. Many of us are familiar with this passage in Matthew 22 where an expert of a law or, or a religious person was trying to test Jesus with this question. It says, greet Jesus which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, he's, th he's like, I'll, I'll give you, but I just can't give you one. I, I have to give you two because they're, they're inseparable. The, this, this greatest command is inseparable from the second. And we know this, many of us know this in this room. The first one is what? To love the Lord your God, right? To love the Lord your God completely with your whole being, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first 
and the greatest commandment. And the second is the overflow of this, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. One of the ways we like to say it around here is that we demonstrate our love for God by loving those he loves. And we love those he loves best by telling them about the love of God. This is the the relationship that we've been invited into. The overflowing relationship of not just growing into trust with him, but allowing that trust to overflow. Allowing that relationship to overflow as we love one another. And it was in this moment, in this situation, in this, this story that Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan, where he's basically trying to challenge, you know, he's challenging people's perspective and their limited view on love. See, the other thing we have to understand about Scripture is that the New Testament was written in Greek, right? That's why a lot of you read it, you say, that's just Greek to me. You're like, it's true, right? It was written in Greek, and Greek has four times as many words as English, There's a lot more opportunities, a lot more expression in the language. Now, Hebrew is the same. Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and there are just, it's just as many, there's way more words to express the heart or the intent of the word than we have in English. For example, praise. There are seven different examples or words or translations to the single word we use called praise. So we'll read the Psalms, we'll say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Right? And we have praise. But these, the translation could be like praise meaning bow on your knees. Or praise meaning jump and shout for joy. Right? You have to understand the intent of the scripture, the intent of the word in order to fully understand the here and now, how this is speaking to our life. We need to understand the original intent. So in English, you know, we can say in a single sentence, I love chocolate. I love eating chocolate while I watch the Blue Jays that I love. I love the Blue Jays and I love my wife. I love chocolate, I love the Blue Jays, and I love my wife. Now, if, you're, if we're you know, intelligent human beings, which I know you all are, we would understand that those loves don't all equal the same thing, right? We're not naive enough to say that you, you would die for chocolate the same way you would lay down your life for your wife. If that's true, come talk to me, we'll have a different conversation, you know, right? So, so they don't all mean the same thing. So in Greek, there are four words, say four with me. Four different words for love that express a different commitment. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not, I don't want to take you down some Greek road, but I do think it's important for us to at least understand this differential, right, so, so we can just kind of understand this concept of love from a, just a maybe a more holistic approach. See, there's four different words. The first is the word sorge, sorge, which is a natural affection. It's, it, just, it means this natural affection. It's this familial love that you have for your siblings, or your children. It's the kind of love that a parent has for their child. It's a storge kind of love, natural affection. We have this word called phileo, which comes, the Philadelphia comes from this word phileo, which means friendship or, or brotherly love, right? It's the type of love you have for your neighbor or your community, your town. I love Concordan, right? It's that kind of town, that kind of love, or the kind of love you have for your favorite sports team, you know? It's that kind of relationship, that kind of love, this phileo kind of love. The third kind of love is the word, is eros, which we get the word erotic. It's that word, it's that physical attraction. And this is kind of the word that we use sort of reference a lot, right? It's this love. It's just a romantic kind of love. It's, it's intimacy. It's the love that you have toward your spouse. But it also refers to the, the love of the body, meaning it speaks to a level of consumerism and consumption, of consuming love. 
It's kind of the same love. It's the love I have for chocolate. It's I love chocolate. I love the way it makes me feel, right? It's that erotic kind of love. And these are all great in their own terms, in their own ways. These are all mentioned through Scripture. But there's one more kind of love that really is the love that God has towards us that we pursue, but really short of heaven will never fully live out. But it's this love, this agape love, which is this unconditional love. See, God's love for us, I'm so grateful for it that Romans 5, 8, we see this, that, that while I was still a sinner, that while I was an enemy of God, he still loved me. He loved me. Like, he had this unconditional love to me that wasn't conditioned to my love to him. Like, he loved me first, and I love in response to his love. This is the kind of love that God is calling us to pursue and to live out. So what does this love look like? Well, agape is, here it is, it's the intentional and the unconditional expression that chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost or the consequence of oneself. There's a lot in there. But this is what agape, I'm going to read it again. It's the intentional and unconditional expression that chooses to, to, that chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost or consequence of oneself. See, we've done a disservice to ourselves by trivializing love, haven't we? It's like something that has happened to us without our consent. How many of us we said we, maybe we've heard or even said this word, I just fell in love. I fell in love as if we just fell into a ditch. Is this something happened that was outside of our control, you know? It just happened to me. I had no I had no say. I just fell in love. It was outside of my No, that's not the kind of love that we're talking about here. That's more like the erotica kind of love, right? Eros kind of love. Something inside me feels that way. This love doesn't happen without intentionality. It doesn't happen without action. It doesn't happen without a focus and with a choice. This kind of love, that this agape love, is giving a person what they need, not what they deserve. Thank you, Jesus, that he gives us what we need and not what we deserve. Come on, let's not separate that. Let's not separate that we're recipients of this kind of love. Because as soon as we forget that we're recipients of this kind of love, we cannot give this kind of love away. And I think this is where the church falls. This is, the, this is the, the ditch that we can fall into, is that we forget first that we are sinners saved by grace. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room are sinners. While we are still sinners, while we are still enemies of God, God so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave his only son Jesus, right, to die on the cross so that you may have life hope and joy and peace while we are still sinners so here's jesus he's he's he, he he's meaning it's fed this kind of love is fed and driven by something stronger than our emotions and our and our first feelings our first response feelings there's something much deeper happening here and here let's keep going john 13 and john 13 jesus says a new command i give you translation i have an unpopular opinion for you to think about that's going to that's, not, that's more than just a suggestion. This is, this is more than just a suggestion. This is unpopular thinking, but I'm going to give it to you. Get ready. This is going to challenge the way you think. It's going to challenge the way you feel. Are you ready for it? This Jesus setting the tone, setting the stable, setting the team. He says you need to love one another. What's this love? This is agape. This is now the agape love. You need to agape, love one another, what? Without condition. This is the, that's what he's saying, right? You need to love one another without condition. Why? As I have loved you without condition. As I loved you without condition, so you must love one another, this agape one another. Why? 
by this type of love, not phileo, uh, phileo not storge, not uh, eros, not that kind of love, no, but this kind of love, this, this agape love, this unconditional love, this is the type of love that it, what, what, it will help people know that you're my disciples. It's this type of love, this unconditional love that will set you apart if you love one another without condition. To which every one of us go, how the heck? Like, that's a lot. This is hard. Like, how do we love people like that? Like, how do we love, the, I mean, I can love those who love me like that. Sure, that's easier, right? I, I can love those who are kind to me like that. I can, I, can, I can love my children like that. I could probably even love my neighbor in time, over time, maybe like that. But how do we do this? So here's the issue that we have to work through. See, the issue we need to, is that we always think about the person that we find it hard to love, right? When we think about this, we, we just, our brain races about the people who have hurt us in the past, the people who have, who have harmed us, the people who have put up hurdles in our relationship. We think about those people and we're like, I can't love those kind of people like the way Jesus loves me. Like, I can't do that. And so it kind of pulls us all back from embracing this kind of love. But for a moment, if you would indulge me, just for a moment, let's put those people aside. Let's put those situations, those circumstances, those emotions, those relationships that are fractured, let's just put them off to the side for a moment. Because I want to make a case for you that will challenge what I, think, what, I, what I think is the solution to this challenge. And I don't really think it's about the people. And here's the thing I need you to understand, is that if you're having trouble with people, it might not actually be a people issue. It might be a God issue. I'm just going to sit on that for a second because I know it sounds weird. If you're having trouble with people, it might not be a people issue. It actually might be a God issue. And how can you say that? Well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean it by this verse. 1 John 4. 4, starting verse 7, it says this. John is writing. He says, my dear friends, let us agape, let us love. One another. Listen, we need to stop there because none of us can do that on our own, can we? We can't do that on our own. We can't do that because we're thinking about them. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from the relationship. It doesn't come from what they give back to us. This type of relationship, it does not come. We are not the source of this type of love. So John is telling you, you got to love one another. And he goes on to saying, for love, for this agape love, comes from God. This is the type of love that once you receive it, then you will have the ability then to express it. I mean, you cannot give this kind of love away unless you first receive this love from God. And how many people know this? You gotta keep that, that, that lid on that open. You cannot put a cap on that lid because as soon as you cap that lid or separate yourself from the source, you are in a whole lot of trouble, right? So we gotta keep that flow moving. So we need to love one another for love, for this agape love comes from God. And then he goes on, he says, anyone who loves, if you can love like this, the evidence of this is that you, the evidence of this kind of love is that you've been now been born of God. What does that mean? It means our old person dies, our, our, our sins are forgiven, and we go in this process where scripture calls the regeneration process, or, or the word, better word is the transformation process of being transformed to be like Jesus. And I may not be who I want to be, but I thank God that I'm not who I used to be. 
And I stand in this gap of moving towards Jesus day in and day out as I receive his agape love, his unconditional, transformative, regenerative love. As I receive that first, then I'm able to then give that away. This is how you will know, he says, for everyone who loves has been born of God. Not that you've been born of God, but you know God. And he's not talking about the academia no. He's talking about the experiential no. That you actually know God through experiences. You know God through relationship. You know God because you've spent time with him. You've heard his voice. You've read his word. You've experienced his presence in your life. This is the knowledge that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away from you, because it cannot be argued out of you, because it's an experience that you cannot deny. This is the relationship that he wants you and I to have that you've been born of God, that yet you know God. And he goes, a warning, listen, whoever does not love, listen, if you don't love, if you don't agape others, if you just say, I can't do it, or I won't do it, or I refuse to do it, or I'll do it for these people, but just not for that person. If you refuse to do it, then here's what John says, you don't know God. You're fooling yourself. And the love of God is not in you. Why? Because God is love. It's not a people issue. It's a God issue. In the sense that am I allowing God to transform me to love people, all people, mean people, different people, argumentative people, Deceitful people. People like me. We're all like that, right? This love isn't determined by the recipient of our love. But this kind of love isn't determined by who's receiving this love. This love is determined by the giver, the source of love. Right? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. And what I allow God to do in me and how I receive his love. This is why Paul writes in the church of Ephesus. He says, listen, I pray. This is my prayer for you. This is Paul's prayer for his church in Ephesus. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Why? Through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, in agape, may have the power together with the Lord's people. Listen, we need one another. We need community. We can't do this on our own. We need God's people. We need God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know, right, to know, experiential, to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you want to receive the fullness of God's love for you today? That's where it starts. All relationships, all relationships are determined by this first foundation, that we're going to receive love from God. This is the foundation. This is my prayer for you. And so an unpopular opinion or the popular opinion says this. You've heard this before. It says, I made a decision to love you, but it will be within the limitations of how I feel combined with what circumstances will allow. I hope to be able to be passionate. I hope to be able to passionately love you, but it will depend mainly on if I can keep a positive feeling about you and if you keep doing well. I commit to loving you, but I want you to know that I will that you will pay if you do me wrong. I'm not going to let you take advantage of me, and I will do to you, good or bad, 
according to what you deserve based on what you do to me, for me. This is how relationships are formed. This is the popular opinion. This is the easy come, easy go mentality. Can I be bold enough to say this is why homes are breaking up? This is why our children don't understand the value of commitment. Because it's feeling first. Am I preaching a little bit too much today? We got to move away from this thing. But guess what? It's not going to be popular. Which means you're going to stand out a little bit. You got to be okay with that. See, the unpopular opinion is this. I have made a decision to do what is, to do what is best for you regardless of my emotions or my circumstances. I have chosen to passionately love you. And this isn't based on how I feel about you or how you are performing. I will always endeavor to love you and others with God's love and respond to your failures or that, uh, respond to your failures or that of others in Christ-like and a redemptive manner. This is my commitment. And I'm going to tell you, every one of us are going to fall short. But as Paul prays, this is going to be our aim. This is going to be our aim. It's what we're going to pursue. It's what we're going to run after. It's what we're going to chase. And if we trip up, we're going to stand up and we're going to keep going. Come on now. We're not going to, if we miss a day, if we fall short, we're going to stand up and keep going. We're just not going to give up. We're going to persevere. We're going to press forward, as Paul talks about. Run the race, fixing our eyes on the giver, fixing our eyes on the prize, letting love be our aim. Quick to forgive, quick to receive forgiveness, and quick to love. This is not easy. I'm not trying to sell you something that's easy, but I want you to know it's possible with Christ. And because we have received God's love for you, he said, this is, I want you to know this is God's opinion over you. Here's God's opinion for you. He says, I have made you, made the decision to do what's best for you, regardless of emotions or circumstances. I have chosen to passionately love you. It's not based on how I feel about you or how you're performing. I will always love you and respond to your failures with love and with grace and redemption. This will never change. This is God's love for you and I and the love that he's calling us to live in all of our relationships. I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet across this place. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. I just want this moment to just solidify before we rush away. I've shared my heart with you today. I have been vulnerable with you today. And I just want to take a moment before you leave to allow the Holy Spirit, if he hasn't already, just speak to your heart to call you out on some areas of your life or maybe some relationships that need this agape love. I just want to ask a few questions. The first question is this. Have you received this love for you? Have you received this love for you? You can't give this love away until you first receive it, until you recognize 
that while we were still sinners, that while I was a sinner, away from God or an enemy of God or living my own life and doing my own thing and serve my own agendas and serve my own purposes and live my own dreams while I was still doing my own thing even as I was running away from God he saw me and he loved me as I am and he loves me too much to lead me the way I am and he invites me into a transforming relationship with Jesus where I get to experience his unconditional love the first question you have to ask yourself if I've received that love I'm going to tell you if, you, if you don't know, you haven't received it. Listen, this is a, this is, you just need to know. I've received it. I, I've accepted Jesus into my life. I've made him the Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm not professing I know everything, but I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus loves me. I know he died for me. I know he gave his life for me. And I want to give my life for him. That's the first decision. Maybe many of you in this room have never made that decision. I'm giving you the opportunity today to make that decision, to receive his unconditional love. The second person, maybe you're in here today and, and you know Jesus, you love Jesus, but you're honest with yourself. You are not allowing the unconditional agape love, not just to receive in your heart, but to flow through your life. And you're holding people at arm's length because you're adopting the popular opinion of conditional love. And Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and he's challenging right now. He's breaking that mindset and he's saying, I'm calling you to love without condition. To love. To serve. To speak. Not speak ill of. And every one of us need to receive that. And the third is that will you allow God, will I allow God to love me again anew and afresh with that love? Will I allow God to love me? Will I receive that unconditional love again, anew and afresh in order for me to live out this kind of love to others? And so, God, we confess our need for you today. We confess our desire for you today. You tell us in Romans that if all who, who believe, we believe that Jesus is Lord. We confess with our mouth that you are Lord. And we believe in our hearts that you raise us from the dead. God, we are recipients. We are receivers of this unconditional love that we can apply into our life, that we will be saved and set apart and set free. God, it doesn't mean life is going to be easy, but we know that we will never leave us, that you'll never forsake us, that there's a confidence that we are cared for and loved. God, that we are recipients of that love. God, I pray that we would be people who love others the way that you loved us, and that by that love, they will know that we belong to you, that we are your disciples. God, this is our prayer. This is our prayer, that we would love you and respond. So just go ahead. Come on. Can we just go ahead? I know we've been doing this all morning, but can you just respond to God's love today? Can you just respond to his love this morning? Just say thank you for his love. God, we just thank you for your love for us, your unconditional love. God, we thank you that you loved us while we were still sinners. You loved us, God, in our brokenness. You loved us in our mistakes. You loved us despite what we did last night or the argument we had last night. God, you love us no matter what we are thinking inside or the thoughts that are harboring in our hearts. God, you love us anyway. You love us unconditional. It's this response that we sing, God. It's this marvelous love. It's this uncontainable love that we stand and we sing and we celebrate. God, it's this love that changes our hearts and it changes our lives. God, it's this love, Holy Spirit, that compels us to love you in return. It's this love, oh God, that compels us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's this love, oh God, that, call, that tells us to 
to lay down our worries and our cares and our dreams and our desires and lay them at the foot of the cross. It is this whole love that compels us to love others as you have loved us. Help us, God. We need your help. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this, God. We need to receive your love today. We receive your love today. We receive your love today. Let's go ahead. Let's just sing this chorus. Sing it. How marvelous. Come on. Let's just sing it together. Can we sing this as response? Come on. 